I'm Chris, and with me is Matt, and we're slowing down, talking to the people around us, between the miles. Matt, my friend, how are you doing today? Chris, I, I, I'm tremendous, man. I, uh, I gotta tell you, it's been pretty cool. I don't know if we've shared recently or not, but you and I have been getting up pretty early for some runs uh, that have honestly come at a perfect time. Uh, for me, where we're having some really fun conversations. And I think we even talked about, uh, you know, whether or not Fievel would beat Care Bears in a, in a battle or something like that, uh, which kind of shows our age. But, but uh, no, I've, I've I, you know, as we jumped on today, you know, and we have a, you know, what we both describe as a, as a just a genuine storyteller. Um, it just made me think about like, you know how grateful I am to you know hear other people's stories, but you know grateful for uh, you know what what we have uh, been able to share on those runs uh, these past couple of weeks. No, definitely, and uh, yeah, uh, I thought that five old uh, Care Bear thing was gonna be between us, my friend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I've I've been enjoying it, especially since you've been the one dragging me out of bed. You know, it's like uh, um, get the, those texts at five like fifteen, like are you ready? Are you ready to go? And uh, and so having that accountability is huge. And, and that's one of the things I love about uh, today's guest uh, uh, with our conversation, Bob Lindler. I, uh, he's a lifelong friend, um, someone who um, has been a mentor to me and really um, provided a lot of accountability, you know, uh, and, and asks great questions. Sometimes when you think you've got your, your stuff together or you're all that, uh, he comes in with a good question to really help you grow. And I know, uh, speaking on behalf of um, some of my friends who are friends with Bob, um, they would definitely say uh, the same thing. And so, Matt, uh, I hope everyone's ready to get to meet Bob because he's got some great stories. He's got a, a great journey. And so without further ado, here is Bob Lindley. All right, Bob, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Chris. So, Bob, um, I've known you for years, over a de- like long, I wouldn't say long enough, um, because I, I know that even though uh, I teach you about hearing your stories a thousand times, there's always some gem that, that arises in you. But, uh, Bob, uh, I know this is the first time you and Matt have really had a conversation. And for some of our listeners who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, and, and what, you, what you do? My name is Bob Lindler. Um, I am 66 year old uh, man who is uh, semi-retired. I grew up uh, in East Baltimore. Um, if anybody's familiar with the Herring Run Sinclair Lane area, and uh, lived in, went through school and then went to art school and then briefly moved about from Toronto to Chicago back to Baltimore. Uh, and started my own graphic design communication business. And that was about 1986, I did that and just kind of turned my business over to my partner a couple years ago. Our biggest client got sold and it was a lot of pressure and I just said, you take it if you want it. And we split and so I've been home doing some work for our parish not quite free but close to free and just helping out people with design or or taking on some a couple clients i still have 
So most of the time now I garden or chase fish in the fall on the bay. So that's, that's my life. So Matt, I got to know Bob through through the uh, church that Bob is helping out through the last place I was employed, and he was helping out as a small group leader and and uh, with the high school students. And our real first true interaction was Bob invited me onto a hike to Old Rag um, down in the Shenandoah Valley. Have, have you done Old Rag, Matt? No, no. I'm glad you told me it's the Shenandoah Valley because I would have had no idea what you were Man. talking about. All right, we, we got to take you there because um, oh yeah. There, uh, there is kind of a, um, and, and I don't know if this is Bob or just the lore of uh, the Shenandoah Valley, but like Old Rag is kind of a quintessential hike there. And and I know I wasn't the first person that Bob invited on this hike. And so, so Bob, like, um, you know, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about when, when you were reaching out, connecting with me and, and Buchko, who, uh, Chris Buchko, who's another friend of ours and everything like that, inviting us on hikes. Like, what, what was it about bringing people to the Shenandoah Valley or to Old Rag that was so important to you, especially people that you somewhat knew? Yeah. Um, for me, when I first did the hike, I was more sort of local uh, swamp rats playing around in the swamps and creeks fishing and stuff. And I was taken to that area and it's like, and I'm maybe senior in high school during the summer and I'm like, mountains i think i like mountains you know we just started hiking in there and ever since that combination for me of the chesapeake bay and then getting into the mountains was just tremendous to me well when you're young it's just a great challenge exercise or fun you know you don't get tired you just get excited because of the bouldering because it's a real summit it's only 3200 feet but it's a it's a challenging climb because after the switchbacks you're going up over round and through rocks getting muddy getting dirty uh straining and uh it was just a lure to me so that combination of getting out into nature and and a combination of pushing yourself and enjoying the beauty around it was just it was overwhelming and i was always captivated by it so yeah uh, it so one, one thing I think about uh, is, you know, at a certain point, right, you find these things that you love, you know, that you just alluded to. How did you start bringing people into it, right? How did you start, you know, connecting yeah. with the right people and, and bringing them along for the, this thing that you enjoyed so much? And, and, and honestly, you know, maybe started a tradition, whether it was knowingly or unknowingly. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. So a couple of my friends who I'm sure we'll talk about later, or especially one, he was the parish priest growing up uh, in my neighborhood, Shrine of the Little Flower. And every year, he all the time, he would be taking guys and then girls or larger trips into the mountains and, and you know, letting them experience it. And uh, but so I grew up watching this, observing this and seeing the excitement of people. But also as I got older, I realized I have a hard time fully enjoying something really great and magnificent by myself. <laughs> and I was very, I'm very lucky to have a wife that shared a lot of my experiences, outdoor experiences for sure uh, with, but I also 
I just feel, I just want to bring people in to share and see who finds, who connects, just like I connected the first time I went. And hence, as we know, we started taking students uh, from Nativity up to ORAG, just because even if out of 10, one connects, it could change their life in an interesting, more dynamic way. And so I love sharing neat experiences, and I found it always fascinating. Uh, so that's how that works. But what I what I love, Bob, about that is it's not just taking like when you took us to the shit uh, to Old Rag or any of these trips that I've been on with you. Um, there are like these little accoutrements, these little like traditions, like the meats and cheeses, salamis and cheeses, and breads and apple, you know, like these little, Matt, it's, it's, it's not just, you're not just doing the hike, you're summiting and then there's gonna be maybe poetry or there's gonna be uh, apple slices. It, it, you know, you can bring other stuff, but like, it's always who's got the salami, who's got the cheese and the bread. Where does that come from? Where, where does this like, picturesque moment comes from? Uh, well, <laughs> that was the, 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 the priest friend. So when it was more people a little bit older, when as I got older, wine would go to the summit. Actually, well, I'm not going to say. And cheese and salami. And it was that traditional. And, and both had a, a quite an affinity for all things Italian. And so as, you know, the Italians, you see the movies, they climb and they sit there and put their, not that we put napkins out or place settings, but the wine, cheese, salami and, and uh, grapes and fruit. And uh, so it just struck with me is really neat. So I remember, oh God, it was uh, one of our, I took before I was married, Maureen and I was really, I always, my wife, Maureen, I always said it's where we fell in love. We, she wanted to go hiking with her girlfriend. And I said, and she asked me, cause I knew do a lot of hiking. And I said, I got the perfect place. You gotta be, you gotta pick me up at 6 a.m. And of course it was down in Shenandoah. And on the other side of old Ragus waterfall series of waterfalls. And this place still opened. I said, we gotta get wine and the cheese. Okay. And her girlfriend wanted to bring a, uh, I, I remember this distinctly, wanted to get some kind of condiment to go with us. And I said, no condiments, no condiments. <laughs> and I insisted on it. And then uh, they all loved it. We loved it so much. We went back the following year and she insisted this time her friend brought mustard. But that was the last trip. she <laughs> It broke down. And I just loved the simplicity of the whole thing. Anyway, that's how particular uh peculiar i well, can be i guess well you know one thing that you know is landing with me right now is is the idea and it's honestly probably very similar to how chris and i feel on this journey we're on with the podcast is you know you put things out to enough people right and if you just kind of let go of the result like you love it right and you, there's a, a, a tradition and a history of other people who have loved it. But if just one person each time, right, falls in love with it or takes something away That's from the it. tradition, That's right, it. It, it, the tradition can live on, right? Like yeah. you weren't the first person that created it, but you've uh -huh. carried it on and shared it with so many others. And, and I think it's that level of connection that, you know, we don't have to 
do things that cater to everyone, <laughs> right? As long as, yeah. you know, we, we get a chance to connect with one. Yeah. It, I, that, somebody, yeah. I just find it exhilarating when somebody really connects with something, you know, I introduce them to. And, so, so, um, Bob, you were, you're, you're mentioning, uh, th this priest friend and, and mm -hmm. I assume you're talking about Metzger here, right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got connected with him. Was he someone who taught the school that you went to, yeah. like the parish that you were part of? Yeah. Um, he was a parish priest at the Shrine Little Flower in the 60s. For I think he was there about 20 years. That's in the time when they would be there. So I remember mostly around 6th, 7th, 8th grade, he ran the... Uh, uh, the youth groups and all that stuff. And he was just a dynamic young guy. And he also had a, another priest friend there. We got to know him and he would always, every year on vacation he, or anywhere, he'd be taking guys on his day off uh, to different adventures. I have to be extremely shy and uh, I never wedged my way onto those trips. Uh, once in a while, I got connected somehow. Uh, especially fishing. Uh, he had a, a small boat. We love fishing. Uh, so all of that uh, was that, that connection. And, and uh, he was such a dynamic figure and such joy to it. And uh, that's who really, when he swooped by one, after, one early morning on a hot summer day, and back in the, it was, I think we just graduated high school and because of where we lived and Mount, not everybody works like they do today, young, young guys, you know, there was nothing to do. <laughs> you know? So we're hanging out and he sweeps in and says, anybody want to go swim in a waterfall? And we said, yeah. And he says, okay. And we'll hop in. You tell your mother, yeah, we told him. And we just disappear into Virginia. And by that time I had never been out of Maryland anyway. So we had our cut off jeans and sneakers and find a secluded waterfall in, in Shenandoah. And then uh, had a great time. I was just mesmerized by the whole surroundings. I mean, totally mesmerized by it. And, uh, and then on the way home, uh, he stops. And it was another tradition I learned from him. It's a nice meal. In this case, it was in Harper's Ferry on the hilltop hotel restaurant overlooking the Potomac, the confluence there. <laughs> and uh, these, these are things that are so new to me and just fell in love with it. So, and so his influence and Chris, you know, whenever we hit a summit, whenever we take people, especially I call him, I call Howard, he's 90 years old this week. <laughs> There's 90. I'll call him. And if I'm fortunate enough to reach him, I'll say your legacy lives on. I got 20 new kids up here this week, you know, or uh, so uh, he, he loves to hear that now. Uh, not that he loves to hear it. His legacy carries on. He loves my adventures now. He lives vicariously. So uh, well, even to the point where um, Matt, this last time we went to the Adirondacks, um, Bob uh, didn't, uh, Bob was at base camp and uh, 
Jim, who's been on the show, and Chris Buccio, who we talked about, and myself, we we summited, and Jim got uh, Metzger's cell phone number and called him. He didn't pick up because right. he didn't know who we were, but we left a message just to say, Bob's legacy, your legacy through Bob, through us now, lives <laughs> on. So, so we're just good with that. So, Bob, we're you had mentioned and alluded to something earlier that um, – that kind of stuck with me at the beginning. And this was, you know, you grew up in Baltimore, mm-hmm. right? You, it, it, now, I don't, I, I didn't catch this, but, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you maybe went away to school, but mm-hmm. then you mentioned Toronto and Chicago before returning. So can you tell us a little bit about, cause you know, you've even said in here, you're like, I think it was, uh, you know, I'm, I was super shy, right? If they didn't pull me into this, it might've been something I didn't experience, right? Like mm-hmm. at, at that point in your life. Yeah. But yeah. So did you leave to go to school? You know, talk a little bit about some of those experiences of of being away from Baltimore mm-hmm. um, and, and and just what brought you to each city and, and something like that. Right. Like, I'm just so curious when I hear people sharing a similar journey to myself. OK, uh, well, thanks. Um, well, when I got out of high school, by the time I was really through high school, my dad was really drinking a lot too much he would be missing work and so I went as I tell people I was one of the lucky ones uh my mom really battled depression and my dad was a drop dead drunk so I couldn't go to college so I was very lucky <laughs> so I worked for a couple of years while all my friends were in school doing well I had very bright friends and doing very successful and uh I was at Pittsburgh paints mixing paint and delivering it and, uh, but boy, did I realize once I realized what I wanted to do in a couple of years, I would draw a lot and people would say, oh, you should, you should go to art school or whatever. Well, I knew that wasn't any money or how I wanted to do it, but I knew I didn't want to work in plants and <laughs> factories at that point. And, and so I started going to school and taken on any kind of part-time job. I went to Community College of Baltimore, had a graphic design uh, program, cheap. I could handle that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was working crazy different part-time jobs and never unhappy because I had a goal now, which I tell young people, and I, I almost want to stop if I can digress for a second. When I meet juniors and seniors and I want and, and parents want to kill me. I say, you know, you don't have to go right to college. You can try to figure out how the world works with an old beat up pickup truck or a a hammer and a nail or a shovel or something and figure it out until it comes to you more organically. But I get in a lot of trouble. So I have to kind of watch where I say that because, you know, so anyway, I was lucky. So then I get out and, uh, of there. And now I wanted to go and I said, well, where do I go from here? I got it. I want to be a graphic designer. And, uh, and that's when I tried Towson state, but I, since I'm paying for all this myself and was able to, because the system was a lot easier and school wasn't ridiculously overpriced. Um, but I knew that wasn't going to work for after a semester. And so I, I worked again, had a job, I think it was a Baltimore City rec leader over in the west side of town. And from there I started, applied to RISD 
And this is where I think how dysfunctional my family is. I think the Holy Spirit works through me. And I'm a huge believer in the Holy Spirit because something kept pushing me, even though I'm shy and awkward. Um, I got to do something. So I went through the whole process, including drawings and everything for O'Donnell School of Design, very prestigious place, and get accepted for my junior, senior year, except it was $8,000 a year and they didn't want no way to help me. And I didn't have that. So, and then I stumbled into one of these things that Portland School of Art in Portland, Maine has all RISD graduate professors, teachers, <laughs> and it's a third of the cost. So I said, and then I had a relative living in Maine. So the hence Maine for two years, actually two and a half. And uh, from there, I didn't, all my classmates, which was very few, uh, all went to New York and I just didn't want to go to New York. Somebody recommended um, Toronto. So I had some money because actually I got a grant that was a fifth year grant. I used my basic education grant for $250 a year or semester for community college. And now when it's four grand a year, I don't have anything. But they said there's a fifth year. So I had money. So around Christmas time, I went to Toronto with my portfolio. I love the city. You, you can be poor in an expensive city if you can live anywhere. <laughs> comfortably. And, uh, and all you need is a, a pass and the system, the tr uh, transit system, all that worked really well. I had a job, had a green card for one year and loved Toronto. And actually I lived in a Hasidic Jewish neighborhood and learned to appreciate some really fine uh, bagels <laughs> and uh, some food and, uh, and, and such and such. It was neat. Um, but then the green card ran out and uh, he, he couldn't renew it. And they didn't want to, Canada just wasn't accepting people. So we did have a corporate client, which is more my background. Uh, at least we had did one job with them through the company I was with. And I asked the owner, I said, do you mind if I call on them? Uh, I'm gonna try to figure out how to stay here legally and all that stuff. He says, no, that's not our client. So all of a sudden I'm freelancing for a few different people and starting to make money, but I'm not legal there. <laughs> and so, and loved it. And even had a young guy, another guy my age wanted to go into business together. He had a little studio space and I'm thinking, well, this has now almost been a year I've been doing this without the documentation. I said, it's just uncomfortable. Hence, I went to Chicago to see if I can get enough money to get a lawyer to try to get in. But I, it, it all failed. I, I remember I, I, uh, the, uh, I never thought I'd live in Chicago. I never even considered. I just didn't like the idea of Midwest anyway. But uh, I had a few weeks enough money or if not I'd have to go home and figure something out and uh, I did get a job on a Friday morning somebody called and said can you start Monday and I said sure love to now it's like now what do I do and I realized the Cubs were in town so I saw the Cubs every week on TV because the one game of the week 
So I bought a six pack of beer like everybody does there and walked up to Wrigley Field and watched an afternoon game. And I'm sitting there. Uh, what's the what's the movie where you're placed in all these weird places? Here I am in the right field bleachers drinking on a hot spring day in Chicago watching the Cubs. It was fascinating. Uh, anyway, so I got there and after a year and a half there, I just, uh, you know, people are great anywhere you go. People are always, everybody's, oh, they're nice. They're, they're nice everywhere. But the Midwest, uh, there's a dryness there that I really missed East Coast humor. Uh, I miss East Coast slap on the back kind of, it was just different to people I work with. It, it took a year to realize it's just not quite the same. And I was going into work very early one morning and I saw the sunrise over Lake Michigan. And it's like, as I'm driving in, it's like, that's not the bay. <laughs> I swear, and I said, that's not it. And I went in and gave my notice that morning, so I'm going home. Because there was a design firm back home that I'm pretty sure I could have got, I could get a job with, and I did. Uh, so uh, that's how that traveling came about. Uh, and my love of the Bay really brought brought me back. And so that's that's where I am. Did that answer the question? <laughs> it, it was it was perfect. And and uh, you know, just something that I really related to in there is is uh, you know, I, I I had the gift and the privilege to spend a summer on the road with my brother um, mm -hmm. after I graduated school and, and he was still a, a sophomore in college, but I got an internship and and so we're traveling the United, you know, a better part of the United States, right? We didn't traverse, mm -hmm. you know, all. And every, like the one thing that we agreed to was every city, no matter what, like, no matter how, like we could get there, we were going to go to a baseball stadium. Oh if, yeah. If the team was in town. And so mm -hmm. when we were in this greater Chicago area, and I don't even know if we actually had a stop in Chicago mm -hmm. or not, but we made a stop. Uh, we didn't get to see the White Sox. We got to Wrigley. And I remember uh, you know, everyone scalps outside of Wrigley. It's not really like you don't go up to the ticket booth anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's all controlled by the scalpers. And so we bought the cheapest tickets we can get. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened. They're like, Oh, you're right behind home plate. These are great seats. Like you're going to get the full Wrigley experience and we get to our seats. And I, I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It was something out of like, Something mm -hmm. you would write in like a sitcom or yeah. a, a cart a cartoon or whatever. We were right behind one of the grandstand pillars <laughs> behind home plate. So the entire game, if you can picture it, right? Yeah. I know people are listening. I'm looking one way around the pillar. My brother's <laughs> looking the other way around the pillar. And you know what? Like, even though you know, people would have made that such, maybe even just such a negative experience. It's like such a vivid memory uh, that we got to share that, yeah. you know, yeah. how many yeah. other people even, you know, like take the chance or, or, you know, look at that failure and look at that as such a negative around it. And, and to yeah. us, it was like, man, we get to talk about this for the rest of our lives. All right. In yeah. Wrigley Field. If, if it was in Chicago White Sox, which is mundane, you might not have been as happy. You're in Wrigley Field. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah I, I never had the Wrigley experience, but when I went to Fenway, I remember uh, those chairs were built for people in the early 20th century and not like <laughs> anyone over six foot and being totally uncomfortable. And uh, I remember sitting behind a pole like like you guys, but being like, hey, I'm in Fenway. You know, it's like think about all the great <laughs> yeah. moments there and everything. So definitely can appreciate that. Um, but Bob, I, I love how you know, and this is one thing I've always appreciated about you is just like your love for the Bay, your love for this area and, and, and everything. And, um, and, uh, just wanted to kind of, uh, talk about like you come home, right. Uh, from, mm-hmm. from being out West and, uh, you're settling back in. And, uh, I guess about that time you, you meet Maureen, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you guys start dating and everything like, when, when it came to working in graphic design and when it came to art, like you talked about just exploring these different cities, but what were you like, were there any um, uh, like hopes or like aspirations or dreams of being like a, a famous artist where you're like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to paint for a living. I'm going to be like, um, you know, a Van Gogh or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe not as tortured, but someone along those lines. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, although uh, through school and everywhere, they had these incredible publications with all these great creative works, uh, not necessarily advertising, but even in design, just handsome layouts, clever headlines, things like that, and, and advertising. Very, uh, very attracted to all that. Um, and I do, but I also... And I have a, I think, a, a good sense of humor and a wide ranging of humor. And so all this stuff captivated me. And so I wanted to be that, even though I never considered myself the writer, but you thought you would. But also at the time, no title was put on it. Nobody ever said it to me. But I had serious attention deficit issues. <laughs> you know? So uh, part of my... Uh, and to, to, to digress, part of my explosion when I get outdoors is because I had tunnel vision for 35 years doing what I did. <laughs> you know, I had to channel all that energy into, into focusing. And of course, then later on, when you have kids, you find out what attention deficit is. <laughs> it's like, okay, I had all that. What's the big deal? <laughs> you know? um, but uh, so I never had that. I had a sense of just uh, I, I don't know, just making handsome things, designing. It was it was a, a creative pursuit at one point, <laughs> the graphic design. And uh, and then seeing all the illustrators work who come in or their samples and stuff. Uh, and then, so I never had that. And I also learned quickly in the large design firm, I'm not a political person at all. So when like the art director's position was open, you know, everybody knocking down the doors for all this. And I just said, well, if they think I'm good, they'll, they'll put me in that position. And I didn't lobby for it. And hence that's, I said, I got to start my own business and small and work up. And, and that's, that's how that all went. So I never had visions of, of, uh, of greatness really, but I had, I was very competent and very good. <laughs> and I think that's where it was going to stay pretty much. You know, they say a midlife crisis. If you hit, you hit this age, you like, this is all I'm going to be. 
you know, I'm not going to be what I was thinking this whole thing is going to work out. And so people, men panic, mostly men anyway. And so in my case, I kind of knew it up front. So I there was never any panic set in. <laughs> so so uh, how, you know, I'm, I'm curious, right? Because uh, you said you started your business in 86, but there was obviously experience prior to that and, mm-hmm. and you know, the education mm-hmm. around it. And, mm-hmm. and obviously, it'll present day, you're still working in the you know the graphic design space how has that evolved over time right like to what we know today like Uh, has has there been an evolution right like what what is what does that look like oh it's fascinating so when i started my own business i had a i met somebody got to know who had a space and all i had to do was have a drafting table and some access to a xerox machine believe it or not that reduces and enlarges. And if you have that, you can do it. And so before all the computers, if you want to do a cover for a a booklet or something, and you want to color photograph, you find an image similar, and you take it down the street and pay to have it enlarged or reduced (laughs) color and glue it onto a page enlarge and reduce the logo or trace it or something and draw it. So all of that was all by hand and always gluing and folding and mocking. And uh, as that went along, it was great. You know, uh, I mean, I would do work for agencies, freelance this way, real client here. Somebody introduced me. So it was a wide range. I was busy. My wife was still working at an agency. Now she wasn't no longer at the design firm, but more of an agency. And uh, so that was kind of getting hectic. So she joined me at some point. I bought a little row home on Charles Village, 27th Street. And so I set the upstairs up that we're gonna go there, but we ended up having a, a, four of us pitched in and bought a three-story brownstone on 25th Street renovated it and made offices out of it. And I rent, we would rent some, the other space and use that. And uh, so the guy downstairs first got a computer and his, his employee, they sat shoulder by shoulder for a year mastering it. And meanwhile, my wife and I, Marie and I were convinced that this is not going to work for design. <laughs> this is not going to work. Well, they were getting it to work, right? <laughs> and, and so the, the owner of that business, he decided to move on to something else. And here's this guy that now has computer experience, very good, very crafty, who needs work. So we hired him. And all of a sudden, we go from the complete nothing about computers to somebody that's pretty advanced at it. So right like that, boom, we're now doing that. We're uh, making money because we're not paying for typesetting, things like that. And he's very skilled and really stayed up. But at that time, what was interesting, there was about four or five guys I knew in that area of uh, illustrator, photographer that were really drilled down on the web. Right. And so they were searching. I was watching them and I'm, they're trying to get rich because they're advanced on how this internet works and graphics and things like that connected. I found it fascinating. None of them did. None of the guys 
that were doing it were still the same. They were still illustrators, still the, nobody was paying for it. And, and so, uh, but, so we, we did and, you know, I said, okay, that's great for design and output, but can you produce stuff? And lo and behold, it, it was a fascinating process. So I went kicking, screaming into it, including with the fax machine. Who the hell needs a fax machine? What the hell is this thing going to do? And of course, they turn out to be right. Nobody needs a fax machine now. <laughs> so, you waited that one out, huh? You waited out that storm. You knew that was just a fad for a couple of years, huh? <laughs> I kind of see no. Bob just walking around with his pager on his hip, right? Like <laughs> Pager, that seems too, too techy for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, uh, I know. I went kick screaming every every step of the way, and now here I am. I sit at the computer and I laugh when somebody says, oh, "I'm sorry, Bob. We got to make these changes to this job." You know, I sit here and push buttons. It's like I say, it's not like I'm moving concrete wheelbarrows full of concrete a hundred yards and dumping it. You know, I'm pushing a few buttons. I'll do that. <laughs> so it is amazing. <laughs> It definitely puts into perspective, like all the work that you had to do where again, like going, getting it Xeroxed, shrinking it, cutting, oh, pasting, yeah. everything like that. And now it's like, yeah, a couple of keystrokes allow you to do all that in a matter of seconds. Um, <laughs> what, what took, what must've taken hours um, yeah. uh, uh, of your day. And so it is amazing to see um, some of those advancements. Um, I, I want to pivot us back to, um, to Howard. Um, because I know that he had such an impression on you as a young person. And, and you mentioned today that like when, when you summit, you, you still give him a call and things along those lines. Um, talk a little bit about like why that relationship and how that relationship has been maintained through the years from when you were a young kid to, to now, um, you know, older. And, uh, and as you mentioned, he's going to be 93 uh, coming up and everything. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why and, and how that relationship maintained. As, as I got to know uh, Mets, as we call them, Mets, um, over the years, uh, as I was getting a little bit older, I was more confident, a little bit more outgoing. Uh, and I always still tease him that I never went on any of his big trips to Maine or Florida. He says, why not? Said, nobody asked me. Well, you got to come in and just tell me you're going with me or something. I was like, well, that's not, not my style. But also found out how actually brilliant he is and how devoted he was to the church, to his parish. Uh, but also just, he was one of those guys, he's so, you hear from other people. And then he would never talk about himself much unless you ask direct questions. He's one of those guys that could read a book a day easily, uh, maybe two, and sit there and retain it. Uh, he still has notes. He's one of those that keeps all his stuff from childhood. He had such a beloved childhood. Uh, when he went to Loyola High School, uh, he would read the school books first day and never look at them. And the teachers would write them notes. Please, Howard, take your books home and read them. And he, Please, Howard, take your books home and at least look at the pictures or whatever. And he just wouldn't. He went through life that way. Uh, and, 
even to this day, he recites poems from 30 years ago that he might not have recited, but once or twice since then, you know, so I'm fascinated by him all the time with that. And, uh, and, but, and as much as he was a very dedicated and uh, con uh, convicted to his mission as a parish priest, once we get outside, he was just a fun-loving, straight arrow, uh, uh, and just fearless about doing stuff. Because he would look at maps of where we're going the night before and never look at it. He knew options, where to go, what to do. He just had that kind of stuff down. So it was always fascinated. And as time went on, I had a terrible breakup oh, early in the 70s. And I never really hung out with them individually. We'd go join them for something with a couple guys. I had a terrible breakup with a girlfriend. I was very down, you know, guys are familiar with that feeling. It's pretty blue, it's pretty bleak. And out of the blue, he calls me and says, my day off tomorrow, why don't we go down to, down to the shore? And uh, he had a little cottage on the Eastern shore and uh, help me with my gardening and we'll do a little fishing. Well, he never, so I went, sure, hell, fishing. And uh, we went, I think I met him there because he went down Wednesday night or something, I drove down. Um, never mentioned anything about the breakup, never did anything, we just hung out. <laughs> so he never was preaching, he was never the father who put advice in unless it was directly asked for uh, or he sensed the real problem. And so we just talked about other stuff and did stuff and just filled the day that way. So, and I'm thinking, I wonder who told him and out of nowhere, because he'd never happened like that before. Oh, he's just that kind of guy, uh, you know, getting people out of prison three in the morning. This is pre-drug days, pre-heroin. It was bar fights, street corner fights, you know, getting thrown in jail. And he was always the guy going down doing that. Uh, he even had a guy, this is stuff you hear over the years. A kid called him he, a year ago, he says, Mets, I want to take you to dinner. I want to take you to a really good dinner. I'm living in Florida, but I'm coming up. Why are you doing that? Why do you want to, why do you feel like you need to do this? He said, because you helped me get, what's, where the Boy Scouts go to the mountain they go. The e Oh, uh, uh, New Fairmont? Uh, yeah. In, yeah. Uh, yeah, New, uh, New Mexico. Right, he says, right. I couldn't go and have any money. You gave me the money. He doesn't even remember. You, I didn't give you the money. Yeah, you did. You gave me the money to go because I want. I, I was able to go on that trip. Uh, Fairmont. I, I, yes. Philmont. 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 That's yeah. It. So those kind of stories come back all the time. And uh, so, and through all that, I was not a man of great faith or a young man of great faith. It was tricky for me. I, I just think about things all the time. I, in my church, there was this giant mural behind the altar. Uh, every Sunday and during school, we'd see it. Big white man with a white beard, white hair sitting on a cloud. The handsome man to his right, a, a dove flying around, all these little cherubs. And it just so messed my mind up that this is not what is this? You know, I couldn't get my, and so through him, uh, that he's so dedicated to this mission he, he's on, and he's so intelligent, I kept thinking, 
okay, I got to look at this different. I got to find a way to look at all this differently. And, and as I did between my love of the outdoors and nature, the natural order of flow of things, it all started becoming to make sense to me more. And basically, I overheard him recommend to somebody a couple key books, Mere Christianity, if you really want to dive into this, and Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which I highly recommend for everybody. <laughs> but uh, um, so those things all tethered me. And, and uh, so we became, boy, I wish I had friends when I was in his prime. He's just a good buddy. You know, he's there, he's up, he rallies. He, he never comes in in a pissy mood or anything. He just has a great disposition. As he told me, he was voted best disposition in high school, loyal. <laughs> so the story is he, uh, so he, to get a good education, went to Loyola, then he went to Loyola College, and then he really wanted the full education, he was able to go to a Catholic University in Rome. This is, I guess, late 50s. So incredible experience, incredible stories. Uh, it really, it kind of challenged him, but not really. He still tells stories day before exams, heading out with buddies all over Rome and places. He still was the same character. And he had no intention. He'll tell you he wasn't a man of faith either. Uh, he had no intention of becoming a priest. Uh, so between sophomore and junior year there, you have to, second and third year, you have to make that commitment, be a seminary. He was going to travel Europe with his buddy uh, that summer, and they got to England, and his buddy had leukemia. So he got sick. Um uh, more than they expected it would. And so instead of Mets going anywhere else, he stayed with them that whole summer and watched them die. Mm. And uh, he says, when I asked him, he says, I saw Christ so clearly in him. And so he went back and for 40 years, he was a priest. <laughs> he gave everything to it. Uh, even though he, he would still consider himself more of a philosopher than a theologian. And uh, I think his, his brain, he calls it his brain, sits behind him, all of the uh, 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 Newman, uh, Newman, uh, Cardinal Newman's yeah. books and uh, those type of things. And, and so uh, what else? Is there any, when I leave out, I skipped a lot of years. And by the way, he's 90 and through attrition, I moved up the ladder to be one of his best friends. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you just outlasted a lot of them. Well, and sometimes I feel like that's where uh, Chris Buchko, Jim, and I are in your film. You just outlasted the rest of them. Oh, no, uh, they've kicked me out the other groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I kind of want to, as we uh, get uh, close to the end of this conversation, want to sort of move. So how, Howard has, he invested a lot in you or you absorbed a lot from him. And again, going back to how we met, you got involved um, in high school ministry at Nativity, um, mm -hmm. investing in young people. And and for as long as I've known you, uh, you've had just this this passion about helping um, younger generations, uh, and not just young men, but young women too, 
uh, just learn and, and learn more about the world. Um, can you tell a little bit about like, what are some of the hopes that you have for the next generation? And then what are some of the concerns uh, that you have as you see? And um, I'm sure the latter is something we could record a whole nother podcast on, but. Uh, um, you know, when I, this is kind of goofy, but you know how you sometimes these little memories from long, long ago, you try to figure out what's the longest memory I have of something, you know, how old was I? I remember coming back, my dad was, was Halliburton, I guess he was in the reserves, they had a softball game. One of his friends picked me up and threw me on his shoulder as a young kid. Mesmerized me. <laughs> it's like, I still remember it. Uh, a couple key incidents happened. My first trip to the mountains, something just like, poof. and so that I, I really thought about all that. It's like, wow, if you can somehow just spark something in, in these guys, it's, it could, it could be like me. It's one of those, I'll never forget that. That was great. He took us to this thing. He did this, you know, or we, it was just, again, organic. It just happens sometimes. And uh, so that's really, I'm not a very good uh, uh, instructor of, of, of religion or especially Catholicism, <laughs> uh, but I try to find sparks and try to find a connection for them to tether them to something greater. And of course, the old rag hike is a, you know, the wildness of nature, the truth, the beauty, you know, and uh, all that. And so that's one, that's a, that's an easy one. You know, some kids are mesmerized by that, right? They're fascinated and it may change them, especially if you talk about the natural beauty, the wildness and how it all works and why are we different? How do we fit in the plant? So, for young and, and for young people today, of course, I've said, I don't know how much time we have. Young people, when I was growing up, I could go out and intermingle with different neighborhoods all the time. No adult supervision, except for little league baseball here and there. But it was, you just figure it out together. In this day and age, young kids, they're always connected with instructors, supervision, always. And is it the where we live? Does uh, times more cars on the road, more chances for kids to get plowed over than when we when I was a kid? But I could interact. I could hang out with bullies and get along because that's where they are, and they're all walking to the stadium. And we'll walk together. Just hope they don't get in a fight. Nerds, jocks. We could. We were chameleons. And because it wasn't always supervised, you had to figure out how you fit in. And of course, today, kids are supervised everywhere. And of course, it troubles me that maybe they don't know how to interact, especially in the workplace. Chris, your wife's an HR person. <laughs> People don't know how to be chameleons to get along. They're just used to, this is my way, that's the way, or it's peculiar. But anyway, just that thought. Um, I, I just try to want to find the nature of the kid. Mm. And sometimes you got to get up. And, and of course, with the church, the way it is right now, one-on-one, one-on-two, 
know, let them be who they are. This is schools over here, parents, in that sense, who are you? <laughs> What's your nature? Uh, and I, I don't think kids know their nature. They probably get out of graduate school and say, okay, wonder who I am. I'm a pretty good student. What else? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so I'm fascinated by that. So in, is, there were good old boy jobs for people like me growing up. If you didn't, if you didn't get your master's, you didn't go all the way through. There was plenty of ways to make a decent living uh, uh, without having to be a, a, a techie or anything. Nowadays, I don't know. <laughs> you know, these kids have to get these this education. They're put in the funnel at the top and come down. They spit out this little highly educated <laughs> person. And, uh, and then they have to figure it out. So I don't know, different times. So it's, I have great concerns, by the way, for all that. <laughs> so, and the distractions they have along the way, that thing in their hand, that, uh, that phone thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the, again, one of the things I'm most appreciative about you is that, um, you challenged that and, um, <laughs> And, and not only that you challenge that, but you expose people to ways that they can open up their imagination, that they can explore new things. And whether it's taking them out of nature or introducing them to, you know, uh, pieces of literature that are, are huge, I think can be um, just uh, so beneficial, so beneficial. Yeah, the mind gets set free on some these great works of novels and stuff. It, it's like, you live in a fantasy world for a few weeks while you're reading them, you know? It's like, I'm that person. I wanna, you know, I wanna go to the store and take my beaver pelts and see what I can get for them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, it, and now, as I said, you know, growing up, there's no question, there were some boring days, but you were at least alone with your thoughts. And now, Every five seconds, a ping comes on your phone, which is either in your pocket or in your hand nonstop. So I don't know how anybody has thoughts that extend. And so to me, that's scary as hell. Yeah, you know, and and I know we're, 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 we're kind of closing up shop here, but, you know, I think that it's actually forcing a lot of people, you know, that are, you know, kind of in Chris and I's shoes to really intentionally focus inward and focus on those things because we're we are raising kids right and we share those same concerns and the reality is is that it, it is not um it's not easy it's not going to be a simple fix or a simple solution but i think to your point it, it maybe it's not necessarily about you know uh how the kids adapt it, it might be how how we adapt you know to 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 step away give them that space right to to teach them how to you know look inwardly or, or go on a hike right like take them you know to do things that they wouldn't normally do you know on their own volition or own choice and and so i you know as someone who's just getting to know you i i certainly appreciate that about you and and you know to the people who are listening i I just challenge you, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being a chameleon is being others focused, you know, 
-hmm. It's not about you, right? Like, yes, Mm -hmm. there's some self-preservation there, but it's about like, okay, how do I cater to this group so that I can walk to the stadium? How do I cater to this group so that, you know, we can, we can learn the rules of the game or or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I just really, uh, as I was sitting back and taking all that in those things, you know, as, as uh, you know, to me, I think it's the parents uh, that maybe aren't going to fix this, mm-hmm. but that can be the examples for their kids as their kids don't know how to navigate, you know, these yeah. certain things. Yeah. Well, you know, you and Chris with young kids, the, the influence of it used to be called Madison Avenue, the national advertising, overwhelming. They can make that cell phone at the dinner table, which is painful and, and combative can be. They make it a joke, you know, the goofy dad, like and these kids sneaking their phone in, everybody's giggling, right? It makes it so hard, this influences of, of that, that national uh, Madison Avenue influence on all that stuff too, doubles it doubles it makes it hard once it starts to be a joke then all they say is oh you're like that guy on the commercial <laughs> so anyway well good luck with that i'm glad i'm done through it <laughs> yeah i'm not done with the problems but i'm done with that problem <laughs> awesome awesome well, hey, Bob, uh, I know uh, uh, we could talk uh, for hours and uh, always enjoy uh, hearing your stories and, and having these conversations. And so uh, on behalf of Matt, just thank you for uh, sitting down with us and having a conversation. Oh, thanks. OK, talk to you soon. Matt, another great conversation. I'm so glad you got an opportunity to meet uh, Bob and hear a little bit of his story. Um, some some of the stories I've I've heard and, and just definitely cherished for years. Um, what's uh what's the takeaway that you you got from today's conversation? Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna wrap kind of three things into one. And and the first is you know as two people who have moved around a bit, uh, it was. You know, refreshing to to hear how Bob has such a love for the Baltimore area, but he had a reason and a clarity of purpose and a vision and, and a goal to take his artistic talents, right? Not wanting to, you know, settle into, you know, a factory type job or an industrial type job and where it took him and the experiences before he actually decided, you know what? I do want to be in, you know, in the Baltimore area. I do love these things about where I grew up. Um, and so there was a bit of that that resonated with me. Uh, and then, you know, as two dads, and, and we kind of alluded to this, you know, that things are changing, mm-hmm. right? Kids don't have to go to college or, or kids might take a gap year. They might go to community college, uh, you know, for two years before going on campus. And, you know, just... That adaptability, I think, is something that we're we're genuinely going to have to lean into, um, you know, over the next couple of years to to you know to to make sure right that we're we're keeping up with the pace of how everything's moving around us. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's almost kind of like what Bob was sharing is that wasn't necessarily a path you had to take, right? You didn't have to go to college. He was saying um, in comments like you could just pick up a hammer and nails and make a career for yourself. And I almost feel like our generation and around our generation, 
it was almost dictated, right? Like success was you go to college, but now with maybe before the pandemic, now that there's all these disruptors, it's almost kind of like we're revisiting the fact of like, oh no, no, no. There's other ways of making your career, finding your vocation, finding your calling in life. And so um, just having that conversation with Bob um, and, and with the comments you just made, made me think about like how it's gonna be interesting having those conversations, right? With Matthew, Benjamin and Lucy, like in, just with other kids of, hey, what does your future entail? Like, who do you want to be? Like, where, what what do you want, you know, in the, in this life and everything? And so um, I, I took away that for sure, for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, we have so much kind of similar to Bob, but maybe we don't see it yet, but we're going to have so much to share with people along the way based on our experiences, right? So I took that away. And, and one of his maxims that I just love was uh, you can be poor in an expensive city if you're willing to live anywhere. I know, isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, that That's definitely true because, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where we sometimes limit ourselves with our own beliefs, but with that, right, you can be poor living in a city anywhere uh, if you're willing to live anywhere. And I think that, that that's huge. So, um, you know, uh, again, uh, I ho- we hope that you guys enjoyed uh, the conversation with Bob just as much as we did. Um, Bob does not have any uh, necessarily social media outlets or anything like that. So if you want to connect with Bob, you can definitely connect with us. And you can do that by shooting us an email at info at betweenthemiles.com or, or go to our website, betweenthemiles.com. And uh, uh, you can listen to this episode or any of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere podcasts can be heard. And if you liked it, um, and we hope you did, please leave us a five-star review and uh, share this with your friends, your neighbors, your uh, anyone you want to break the ice with and just say, hey, did you hear what Bob said? You know, uh, so uh, definitely we encourage you to do that. And again, we thank you for being a part of the show. Um, and uh, again, I'm Chris and with me is Matt and we're slowing down, talking to the people around us between the miles. This has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells. Music provided by Jan Studio, Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.